What's up, Banter fam? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Miles, and today I want to talk about a gold rush that is currently starting to occur on the Bitcoin network and the effects that it could have on crypto as a whole. Basically, the layout for this show is the first segment, I want to run you guys through the market, give you guys my opinion on where we currently sit, give you some chart updates, some TA in relation to Bitcoin, the stock market, Ethereum, all that sort of stuff. Then I want to run into the Bitcoin gold rush narrative that is uh, currently going crazy and give you my opinion on it. And, and of course, it's going to feature tokens like Stacks, etc., um, that are all relevant to that narrative. Then afterwards, I want to run you guys through some of the charts that I'm looking at that have interesting setups, uh, Phantom being one of them that is very close to a breakout. I want to give you my levels and my trade plans for that. And then I also want to talk about um, the LSD stuff at the end because March is the month of the Shanghai upgrade and it is important that I give you an update on some of the major protocols there and give you my readjusted thesis as to how I see things panning out in the LSD sector. So it's going to be a very, very big show. Sorry, we had to delay by a few minutes. Um, I actually did go live and started streaming and then realized that YouTube glitched out the stream. Um, so we had to restart the stream all over again. Uh, but the guys on Twitch may, may have saw um, that kerfuffle over there and, and you would have saw the first minute of the stream. But anyway, we're, we're just going to repeat it now uh, for the YouTube guys. And then of course, we'll get into the rest of the show. Welcome everyone in the comments. Um, I see D Johnny's there. I see Sol is there. Welcome, Sol. I see um, Zanes is there and Jax as well. Um, we got a few regulars in the house. Let's get on with it. So basically, the first thing I want to start with is the Bitcoin chart. Of course, this is obviously the major indicator that we look at when substantiating where we sit in the crypto market. Now, I'm not going to overcomplicate uh, things too much today in terms of my TA on Bitcoin. I just want to give you my general feeling in terms of where I think we're headed. Um, and basically, that is, look, I'm using the 200 MA as a way to substantiate whether we are exhibiting bullish or bearish price momentum. It's really that simple. So on the four hourly time frame and on the one daily time frame, I find um, the moving average indicator to be the most effective. So right now, I we, we can see that we did have a nice bounce um, in confluence with a key horizontal as well as the 200 moving average on the four hour that resulted in continued bullish momentum in the short time frames. Of course, we did come down um, after we did test 25, set in uh, a new shorter time frame low at 22.8. And then we, it looks like, you know, we have had um, some decent momentum since then as we flipped the MA into support. And on the daily, um, it's a similar story, except slightly uh, accelerated because we did end up flipping the 200 MA on the daily much, much earlier back in January. So for me, this is still generally a bullish trend. I am wary of what's happening in the stock market right now. Because if you do look at the S&P, we can see it just broke below its diagonal. And the next level of support is roughly 3,900. So we may get a 1% to 1.5% pullback um, in the stock market over the next few days. That's something that can happen. That's the only reason why I'm not really um, going crazy, like aping into altcoins today or longing like everything left, right, and center. Um, even though bull uh, Bitcoin is looking bullish, I'm just being a little bit cautious today. And I've got some trade setups um, that I do prefer that I'll share with you at the end of the video. Just because we are approaching that key horizontal at 23.7, we are um, looking you know, a little bit shaky in terms of momentum in the stock market. Although you know, it's kind of crazy, Bitcoin's correlation to stock over the last few weeks, although it has slightly increased 
um, it's basically at two yearly lows. Like the correlation between Bitcoin and the S&P, it's like for a long time had a beta of one. Um, you know, we're now seeing it in the 0.4.5 region, which is much, much lower than it has been in the past. So Bitcoin, because of obviously its accelerated um, bottoming pattern last year due to FTX, um, due to Celsius, due to Luna, uh, it kind of front ran equities in many ways. And then on the way up, um, it has it, it also front run equities. So we're seeing a little bit of decorrelation, but that's not enough of a reason for me to like completely ignore stocks, completely ignore the dollar, completely ignore bonds. Um, at, you know, So I don't want to take into account any loss of momentum in the stock market. So that's my rough Bitcoin framework. But what I want to start doing in these shows is not just giving you my framework, but giving you the framework of other big investors and traders as well that I respect on crypto Twitter. So I'm going to start picking out a couple of interesting setups um, from crypto Twitter to share with you guys on the show from a market update perspective. The first one is Ethereum, which does actually look quite similar to Bitcoin. It is pushing, obviously came up and tested its range high at 1700, got rejected similarly to Bitcoin and then pushed above. Um, we can see this little diagonal trend on uh, the, the daily chart here. Uh, it started to break above, but this wasn't a strong break. It did get rejected off the bottom of the range. So I think Ethereum, although it looks much stronger than Bitcoin and it does have some relative strength, heading into Shanghai at the end of the month, it is still struggling. Um, it's not like completely out of the clear. It still needs a clean break of 16.50. So that's just what I'm seeing on the Ethereum chart. Um, and that's also been verified by Crypto Rand. Another interesting chart that I saw is Bitcoin getting rejected off the macro downtrend resistance. So as we head like roughly a year into the halving, obviously, you know, there has been a lot of hype around Bitcoin and Bitcoin alts. And that's a narrative, of course, I'm going to discuss today, um, which is being labeled as a crypto gold rush. But in terms of the Bitcoin price momentum itself, it still needs to break um, some of those, you know, key diagonals for us to be like super, super bullish on a more macro lens. So of course, in the short term, you can trade like 200 MAs um, on the four hourly and be like, okay, this is like decent long zones for a lot of alts if, if I get a nice setup. Uh, but in terms of like macro structure, obviously 25 is still that key level. And we could see confluence not only on the horizontals in terms of 25K being a range high, but also 25K being that key level that we need to break um, on the downwards trend resistance as well. And then, yeah, there's also an interesting pattern um, from Crypto Nuevo that he posted uh, last night. And he said, Asia pumped, usual market session patterns could be in play. Asia pumps, London holds, New York reverses. So it'd be interesting to see what happens in the Asia Open in roughly an hour um, or two today. It does look like things are stalling out around this key resistance level at 23.7. Flip that level and then Bitcoin has a genuinely good chance of heading back up into this 24 to 24.5 zone, um, which is the consolidation zone that it made prior to testing range high. But of course, um, you know, that is wishful thinking. We need to see how things play out, especially uh, tomorrow with the stock market open, which I think is going to be a big one with stocks losing momentum. You do want to see the S&P um, break above this diagonal here and start to push up. But note, Bitcoin is looking a lot stronger than stocks. Um, so that is, that is, that is obviously a positive sign for the crypto market as a whole. Remember, if you want to trade any of this, um, any of this stuff, any of this price action, I'm going to give you some trades at the end of the show as well that I'm personally looking at. Uh, you can trade on OKX, get yourself a mystery box. If you sign up for a new OKX account, just deposit $50, then you get exposure to $10,000 worth of potential rewards. Of course, you may not get 10K, you may get $5, you may get $10, you may get 20, um, but they do have the, the upper barrier of rewards sitting at around 
$10,000 worth of crypto. So link in the description to sign up for OKX. Of course, we also do have partnerships with Bybit for a $30,000 deposit bonus and BitGet as well for an $8,000 deposit bonus as well. So you've got a few options there, but obviously the OKX mystery box is um, a decent promotion they've got running at the moment. There's one more bit of Bitcoin macro news I want to touch on before we get into uh, the main uh, meat and potatoes of the show, which is obviously the the whole Bitcoin narrative relating to ordinals, NFTs, and the Bitcoin network, and then LSDs at the end. Um, and this is the Mount Gox saga. So this is something we've been hearing about for a while. Of course, you know, when the Mount Gox Bitcoin finally hit the market, the market's going to dump. Um, that's kind of been a narrative that's been with the market for, you know, let's be honest, like probably one or two years now. But it's funny because Kobe last year in August said they're going to release the Mt. Gox Bitcoin the same week they unlock the post-merge staked ETH. They just want to maximize chaos. Six to 12 months away, probably. Going to be funny. Don't trust anyone. And then funnily enough, literally in March, um, when they're about to unlock post-merge staked ETH, we're now starting to get articles, very coincidentally, about Mt. Gox creditors finally starting to see their first Bitcoins this month. So Kobe's prediction may be coming true uh, and Mt. Gox may start releasing some Bitcoin to creditors in the month of March, which does coincide with the unlock on Ethereum uh, for the Shanghai network, now of uh, the Shanghai upgrade. So of course, if these two events happened in tandem with each other, that would be a lot of sell pressure on the market. Um, although I do think it, it, it's possibly a lot of hot air because the Mt. Gox Bitcoin, it's not like they all get dumped on one day. Maybe some creditors you know, get access first. Some may have to wait years. And UBS actually did a study to evaluate the potential impact of the increased Bitcoin sell pressure on the market. And they found that Mt. Gox payouts won't destabilize Bitcoin's value. And while a new supply will come to the market, they think that it would be less concentrated. Meaning the the, the supply, A, a lot of um, holders of uh, the Mt. Gox Bitcoin won't, will actually decide not to sell. And two, the amount of Bitcoin being released at any given moment um, will be low as the total payouts are dispersed across, you know, many months and p- potentially, you know, many, many years. So there are a couple reasons why it may not hit the market that hard. But of course, if, you know, Kobe is right um, and and the ETH Shanghai upgrade unlocks coincide with the Mt. Gox unlocks that, you know, it's not great for the market, is it? But I, once again, I'm very skeptical of that. I just thought I'd give you an update on what's happening with Mt. Gox. So I think more importantly, though, we have to talk about the Bitcoin narrative that is currently underway. And essentially what I want to do is run you guys through what is going on with Bitcoin NFTs, what is going on with the explosion of stacks, what is going on with all the ordinals hype, do I believe in this hype, is there opportunities in the Bitcoin ecosystem, or is this simply just a short-term, hot-air, Bitcoin halving, altcoin narrative that's kind of running out of nothing. So the first thing I want to do is run you through what Bitcoin NFTs actually are. So I did an Instagram post, and if you're not following me on Instagram, there's a link in the description. Um, basically, I do like updates and uh, carousels, which show you like news in the market and break them down. Bitcoin NFTs over the last few weeks have been exploding. Um, I think over the last four weeks alone, 160,000 digital artifacts have been created on the Bitcoin network, whereas previously, like there were hardly any, like you could basically count on one hand the amount of digital artifacts on the Bitcoin network. Now there are almost over 200,000 digital artifacts and artifacts can be, you know, NFTs or um, kind of altcoin related um, initiatives. So Bitcoin NFTs have been the buzz in recent weeks. 
what seemed like inconceivable just a few months ago is now occurring. And I actually want to touch on this point because, yeah, it did seem inconceivable a few months ago that Bitcoin NFTs would even be a thing because for so long, the Bitcoin maxis have been resistant to any kind of not only just change, but innovation or experimentation on the Bitcoin network. So a lot of traditionalist Bitcoin maxis have been very anti um, any initiative on the Bitcoin network that doesn't serve the sole purpose that they believe Bitcoin should serve. And that is, you know, as a global monetary payment system or a digital gold or, you know, something along those lines. So we've recently seen people kind of switch their thinking a little bit and decide, look, Bitcoin's a network, you know, it runs off proof of stake. It's relatively secure. It's very decentralized compared to other networks. If there are solutions that can help us create products like NFTs on the Bitcoin network, why don't we experiment with that? Like, why don't we just try it? Because, yeah, long-term, Bitcoin's probably not a network that's ever going to be as scalable as Ethereum or ever going to be as scalable as some of these other L1s or L2s. But due to the inherent security and decentralization benefits you get, why don't we at least try it out? So that's essentially what happened. But I don't think people anticipated this little test to become just as dominant as it has been. Um, not only in terms of a narrative, but in terms of the price performance of the, the related altcoins and NFTs that have launched, like the Ordinals. So it all started on January 1st when the Ordinals launched. Um, and one of the protocols that's benefiting most from this is Stacks. And I want to get into Stacks, but to understand Stacks first, you have to understand what Bitcoin Ordinals are. So Ray and Sol did a thread saying, as you may know, the smallest denomination of Bitcoin is known as a SAT. One Bitcoin is equal to 100 million sats. The ordinal protocol allows users to send and receive sats that carry optional extra data. This data can be a text, JPEG, so like NFT, audio or video. Adding such kinds of data to a sat is known as an inscription and the end result can be considered as a Bitcoin NFT or an ordinal. How are they different? Most NFTs are created using the Ethereum blockchain through the ERC non-fungible token standard, NFT standard. When an NFT is created, a file of metadata, literally data that provides information about other data, provides information about the NFT. In the case of the most common NFTs, which are digital art, the actual JPEG or file of the art is usually stored off the Ethereum blockchain, and metadata includes a link to that file. This means the file of the artwork can be altered since it's not embedded in the blockchain. Bitcoin ordinal NFTs are different in that there isn't a file of referenceable metadata that describes the NFT. Instead, the entire data file resides in the witness signature field of Bitcoin transactions. This means the entirety of ordinal NFTs live and breathe on the blockchain. So it's very, very different from how NFTs are validated on Ethereum. And I mean, in many ways, you can call Bitcoin NFTs not really NFTs. They're kind of um, Satoshi artifacts, digital artifacts that can be pictures or can be a soundbite that are living on the blockchain. Um, and don't have the sense of non-fungibility that Ethereum NFTs have. Now, this, in one, on one hand, significantly limits um, the potential of NFTs on Bitcoin because, it, like, since it's completely different to Ethereum, there are certain use cases you won't be able to have, like digital identity solutions and NFTs, or digital ownership with some crypto gaming use cases um, with NFTs on Bitcoin. But I think this trend here is very different. I think it's more of a novel use case. I think it's more of an experimental use case. And since Bitcoin is a free market, why shouldn't people why shouldn't pe people be able to speculate and like utilize JPEGs or audio files and stuff 
on Bitcoin. I mean, it's just another use case. Will it be the dominant use case ever? Probably not. I think Bitcoin is much more suited to be a digital gold than a uh, than uh, like an L1 standard proof of work chain. But I do think the the novelness and the experimentation happening on Bitcoin overall is a net positive for Bitcoin, in my opinion. And like a lot of people do like these ordinals. We can see the volume on Bitcoin NFTs has been significantly increasing. Um, and I know Umbrella, who's one of the regular guests on my Twitter spaces, he's a huge fan of ordinals and he almost made me FOMO into buying one. I haven't done it yet because I just want to see how this settles. I'm you know, cognizant of the fact it could be like a short-term hype narrative rotation play. I would rather let things settle a little bit before I make a full decision there. But clearly in terms of volume, there's a re-acceleration. Um, but I think it doesn't just have ramifications for like ordinal NFTs or other NFTs launching on Bitcoin or, you know, digital artifacts because technically they're not NFTs. But one of those ramifications is on, I would kind of call them L2s, but technically they're L1s that run off the Bitcoin blockchain or interact with the Bitcoin blockchain. And one of them stacks. Now stacks is pumped as a result of this narrative, but I think uh, that there's a broader conversation here in relation to the Bitcoin ecosystem, um, which needs to start first with the definition of Stacks. So essentially, Stacks is an L1 blockchain that aims to bring smart contracts and decentralized apps to Bitcoin. It uses Bitcoin as a base layer, so the security is not compromised. Um, so it you know, leverages Bitcoin security. From DeFi to NFTs, everything can be built on Stacks. So Stacks wasn't built on quicksand. It has a long-standing history in crypto. There are a lot of vaporware projects. Stacks origins date back to 2013 as they talk about using Bitcoin as the foundational layer. Fast forward, Blockstack, which was what it was called before Stacks, um, BNS and the virtual chain design were born. Shout out to the stellar engineers who brought this to fruition. Stacks always followed the long and heavy route, and this is a very important point, um, since it went for its first Regulation A token sale approved by the SEC. Note, approved by the SEC. So they went down like a very um, coordinated, regulated path, which I guess did stunt the, the growth of the chain because it's very hard. Um, like if, if you're going the legal route, it's very hard to get quick approval and, and just launch. But now we see how important this is with the SEC cracking one thing after another. And I think this is why Stacks has been running so hard because not only is it leveraging off the Bitcoin narrative, um, kind of this, this NFT boom, this DeFi on Bitcoin um, whole discussion. But it's also piggybacking off the fact that we have intense SEC regulatory scrutiny. And a lot of other protocols, they're in the limelight and they're facing scrutiny. And a lot of exchanges um, are going to have to delist a lot of projects that may be labeled as securities. And this means that the projects that are already verified in a legal sense, they have a distinct advantage. And Stacks falls into that category. Um, it's backed by top-tier people, uh, your favorite thought leader, Naval, Tyler uh, Vinkovos, USV, Harvard Endowment and Placeholder um, with Chris Bernisk as well. So we realize now how vital it is to have a legitimate backer since most Web3 VCs aren't thesis-driven and played a significant role in the recent collapse in crypto hype beast culture. I find it bizarre they hold meme tokens in their balance sheet. We deserve better. One of the most notable milestones was the launch of Stack's mainnet on January 14th, 2021, this was the first part of Stacks' innovative design. So we see how Stacks actually works. Um, you know, it runs, validates uh, transactions off the chain on its own L1, and then it uses Bitcoin's um, security, talks to the Bitcoin network, and interacts via blocks. So um, a lot of the co uh, a lot of the 
processing and storage happens off chain. Uh, and then, you know, you just get a bit of execution, um, which ends up verifying on the Bitcoin layer. So that's, I mean, it's obviously limited. It's never going to be as fast as <laughs> ZK Sync or Arbitrum or Optimism or Phantom or Solana. Like, it's not going to be that fast. It's not going to be that efficient, but that's not really the niche here. I don't think the Bitcoin L1 niche is like, let's create the fastest, most efficient chain possible. I think it's more so like, let's create a chain that works, um, but works well with Bitcoin. And that's kind of the goal of, of Stacks. So after the launch, the ecosystem focused on building and enriching the ecosystem. We could see it's now number 28 in the industry, according to the developer report by Electric Capital uh, for devs. So a lot of people are actually building on Stacks, which is super, super um, interesting. And there are a lot of exciting projects which are which are launching in this ecosystem. I'm going to get into a few in a minute. Halpress uh, is very bullish on Stacks. I don't know if you know Halpress, but um, one of my favorite Twitter accounts, kind of like a, a crypto, like I guess you could call him like a VC fund manager. Um, he said, what happens later this year when Stacks is home to a Bitcoin DeFi ecosystem that actually prioritizes Bitcoin DeFi through incentives programs, so like copies the models that a lot of EVM chains have um, adopted in order to get users. And there's also a Bitcoin denominated NFT ecosystem and three to five second transaction times and the halving three months away. He's extremely bullish on stacks because he thinks this is the beginning of Bitcoin DeFi and we're going to start seeing um, prioritization and incentives for Bitcoin DeFi. Um, and that would be interesting. He has someone down here said, I prefer when you shield ETH. Yeah, Halpress was a big ETH merge bull, um, and I'm assuming still is. And I think, you know, he, he still has that thesis. He says here that ETH um, is the crypto asset that has its fundamental strength and most so far this year with the ecosystem as vibrant as ever and devs executing at an extremely high level. Yet it's one of the worst performers due to the Shanghai overhang. This is not sustainable. So he thinks that the potential um release of ethereum tokens due to the shanghai upgrade if you don't know what the shanghai upgrade does is it's going to allow redemptions off um the beacon chain for staked eth so if you had eth locked now it'll be unlocked and now you'll have access to that eth the reason why we view it as bullish for liquid staking protocols is because a lot of that unlocked eth that previously wasn't in liquid staking can now be transferred into liquid staking because people obviously get the capital efficiency benefit from liquid staking versus validator node staking. Um, but it's no guarantee that everyone's going to stake and and Halpress foresees like a slight overhang because there's going to be uh, some people that decide to just sell some of their staked Ethereum, which could put pressure on the market. So that's an interesting opinion. It's kind of off topic, but basically Halpress is, you know, a big ETH, ETH bull, thinks there's like some, um, definitely something to watch with the Shanghai upgrade but also has uh, has started to come around to like the Bitcoin stacks idea. So in terms of price action on stacks, how are things looking? To be honest, very nice uptrend, but also, to be honest, very hard to chart. The reason why it's hard to chart is because a lot of the listings only happened in Feb. Um, very hard to get historical data on a coin. When you don't have historical data on a coin, it becomes very, very hard to trade. This is kind of a trap that a lot of people get into when trading newer coins. So for me, there's only really two key levels that Stacks has made, um, at least on the one hourly, and I think it looks similar on the four hourly, and that is a horizontal at the 88 to 90 cent mark, and then this pretty clear and decent um, diagonal upwards trend. And this trend is what I would look for to gauge momentum on Stacks. So look, if you are bullish on Stacks, and it is experimental, so I haven't really like decided whether it's worth aping yet. I think 
you know, if I'm just giving you my opinion and it's not financial advice, I think Stacks is interesting um, and it could be worth getting some exposure to the Bitcoin ecosystem. And I'm going to show you a few more projects in that ecosystem. But what I want to see is sustained volume increases uh, because we know that oftentimes these narratives are hot air narratives um, that basically the Bitcoin one specifically could just be running off the back of the, the halving next year and some other factors in the market um, that are kind of being, yeah, acting as catalysts. And Fabian says this as well. He thinks it's a weak rotation. So I'm, 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 I kind of want to see if there's sustainability here and, and verify that it's not just a rotation. Because if it's not just a rotation, we're going to see artifact volume increase. We're going to see stacks usage transaction volume increase. We're going to see development reports become even more bullish for Bitcoin L1s. Those are the metrics I'm looking for to start building a long-term position. Because if I build a position here, um, in terms of my like spot holdings, it'll be with a longer-term time horizon. And it's going to be off the thesis that I see Bitcoin DeFi succeeding. And because I'm skeptical about Bitcoin DeFi like, taking off in the future, because I just don't think it's scalable, uh, it becomes a niche play. And I don't think niche plays necessarily are doomed to fail. But what they do need is they need strong momentum. So we need to see some growth on the metric side of things. So for me with Stacks, from a pure TA perspective, obviously you do have this key um, trend and you, you can definitely buy off support or long off support. You can also look to short off the break because eventually, you know, it is going to break trend and that will likely result in in a bit of a pullback because narrative trading does, um, time goes by so fast, can't believe we, we're so close to having another halving already. I know, right? It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, yeah, because narrative trading obviously does have kind of boom and bust periods that happen on very short fuses. So things can explode in the short term, dump really quickly in the in the short term as well. So it depends how you're approaching this. If we're approaching this from a long-term perspective, I explained that I'm waiting to see some metrics tick up. Um, if we're approaching this from a short-term perspective, or even if you are looking at accumulating long-term and you have a long-term thesis on on stacks and Bitcoin um, NFTs, then you know you, you do want to be buying around levels of support uh, and just verifying that you know you have confirmation of bullish continuation and you aren't buying into any overextension like we possibly are in at the moment. Now we can re reevaluate uh, once once we have a clean break of maybe this 103 level, but since there's not much historical data, we're really just going off uh, short-term price action. So it becomes more difficult to verify. So what does this mean for the rest of the Bitcoin ecosystem, because it's not just stacks. There are other protocols on Bitcoin, other DeFi that's going to start launching on Bitcoin. I think now there's more of a spotlight on this whole trend. There could be more development capital being poured into this ecosystem. Um, and that's why I honestly find it one of the most intriguing trends in crypto. It's kind of, I view it as very different to the China narrative, different to the LSD AI stuff, because all that stuff was like pure hype, um, not like a whole lot of substantive basis long-term, but this Bitcoin trend could have long-term ramifications. And it really is a cultural shift in the way Bitcoin's being perceived, which is why it's something I've got my eye on very closely because it, it can have huge ramifications. Like some, that's why for, I think Forbes or someone did an article calling it, you know, a, a gold rush because there are a lot of um, opportunistic protocols now looking to take advantage of what could potentially be a gold rush by like creating new dApps and stuff. So the ecosystem is getting more interesting, getting much, much, much more interesting. So I, I hear a few key thoughts on this. Chris said, ordinals have um, catalyzed a cultural shift in Bitcoin that will work to Stack's benefit. For those that want 
more programmable uses of Bitcoin applications built on top of stacks will provide what they seek. Because basically, guys, if you're a DeFi protocol looking to deploy on Bitcoin, one of the easiest things to do for you is just to deploy on stacks because it's an L1 already made um, on, on the Bitcoin network and you know just deploy over there. The ecosystem, though, is getting a little bit bigger. We now have, obviously, many wallets. We've had them for a while, but some DeFi protocols starting to launch. Um, you can see them here. You've got BadgerDAO. I'll see if I can zoom in. Um, Fintrust, Atomic Finance, Alex. Um, you've got Lava, AnchorWatch, Tropicus, like all these weird ones, but also ThorChain obviously uh, plays into this as well because ThorChain has Omnipools and Omnipools need liquidity, part of which is, is leveraged Bitcoin liquidity, um, which is paired with you know Ethereum and, and other assets to facilitate cross-chain swaps. So that's interesting. Not really like a true essence Bitcoin um, solution or DeFi, but you know, still factors in somehow. You got infrastructure layers though. This is the most interesting layer for me. I wouldn't be investing app layer personally. I think app layer is just risky with a new narrative like this that we don't really know if it's like, you know, fully confirmed yet. So we have to play it slow and more look at infrastructure, which is the base layer developments that are happening that are going to host new DeFi and NFT solutions. So infrastructure basically means L1s, L2s, Lightning solutions, um, the key directional AMMs, like the direct liquidity to different uh, like DEXs and stuff like that, like all the, like the key infrastructure. I guess marketplaces um, as well can factor into that too. Then you also have like NFTs and gaming, which I, I don't know if the gaming side will ever really pop off on Bitcoin just because like how could you build a game on a network that's slow that only does like a, <laughs> like a few transactions per second compared to like Ethereum, which one day we'll be able to do hopefully 20, 30, 40,000, and probably already can if you aggregate the L2 uh, total capabilities together. So that's like a major concern, but infrastructure is interesting uh, because you may see some DeFi starting to develop. So BXR Research, or BX Research rather, um, did a post which identified some of the top Bitcoin narrative tokens to keep your eye out on. Now, as I said before, long-term, let's wait and see based on what data starts to develop. Yo, what's up? You joining me, Paola? <laughs> Paola just accidentally joined the stream for a second. Um, yeah, so short-term... Uh, sorry, long-term, we're going to need to see how a lot of this ecosystem stuff starts to develop, um, if it actually has any validity behind it. And that's, you know, going to take a much slower and more cautioned approach, as I always recommend with long-term investing in crypto, not just Bitcoin. Short-term, though, you know, there certainly could be opportunities. And these will mostly be momentum trades based on when things break trend in terms of TA and also when you see like key metrics really start to uptick, you can start to look at um, different ecosystem narratives. So I think this is a great list. Screenshot on your phone if you are you know a phone user. Keep this handy by BXR Research because I think some of these projects are interesting. Clearly Stacks though is the major leader, but could we see a rotation? Quite possibly um, if things maintain, quite possibly. There is a skeptic about why he um he doesn't what's his name swap gg doesn't like ordinals and i always think it's important to have multiple perspectives on the show he says bitcoin is strategy over speculation bitcoin is and will remain the primary reserve asset class in crypto majority of holders are not your everyday nft degens he says it's culture misalignment bitcoin max is considered their chain sacred um i would agree with this but i would also say there has been a bit of a shift and yeah, although the maxis might not like adopt this stuff, it's not really the target audience. That would be my rebuttal. Reason three, no programmability and little infrastructure. 100%. 
I would agree. Very unprogrammable, not very composable, uh, fairly slow. It's never going to scale and be the next Ethereum. By no means is this like like viable, uh, lo- like long term as an Ethereum like competitor. That's not Bitcoin's use case. But can it be a, a little niche that sees success based on like a small group of people that are very passionate about it? Yes, for sure. And can it can the like initial DeFi apps and NFTs perform well? Yeah, I definitely don't see a reason why they couldn't. Uh, there's enough of the community there. So, and the whole little infrastructure thing, I would agree with in the short term, but long term, like a, a, a protocol not having infrastructure is not necessarily bearish. If you look at it from an opportunistic perspective of let's wait for, till the infrastructure gets built. Let's position ourselves in that infrastructure, anticipating what will then uh, be like a, a bigger catalyst for the network as a whole now that we have that infrastructure. So I guess little infrastructure creates um, opportunities. But yeah, I know what he means in terms of short term. Um, That being said, the use of ordinals may be more appealing to the fine art world, which values the provenance and authenticity that the Bitcoin blockchain provides. I would agree, he says. And of course, meme projects like Chaproot Wizards and UD Wertheimer fall into that category. In summary, ordinals are an exciting development, but their adoption and use cases are limited. So I don't really think we're too far off the mark. He just listed a few of the bearish points. I disagree with some. I agree with some. Overall, I think maybe you guys have a better picture of how this slots into the total Bitcoin um, Bitcoin economy and, of course, now what is what is an upcoming Bitcoin narrative. So what I want to do now is jump into and my mail apps popping up on my computer, which is annoying. I want to jump into uh, a few trades that I'm looking at now. So I've got a few setups that are looking promising. One's on Phantom. Uh, and then I also want to give go over the, uh, the LSD stuff heading into the Shanghai upgrade at the end of March. So, of course, that stuff is very worth a look at. But before we get into that, I want to answer a couple of questions about Bitcoin slash respond to some of the comments about um, Bitcoin. Joby says, Lightning's very cool. Be nice to see infrastructure put in place to support huge narratives like this. I agree. That is the real problem right now, the lack of infrastructure. Um, Lightning is cool. I don't think we've fully utilized the benefit. I don't know if you guys remember the Bitcoin conference last year when Jack Mallers announced the Strike Partnership. Haven't heard much in the way of that yet. Bitcoin just doesn't seem to be, um, I don't know if it's necessarily suited or even wanted to become that global payments network that it's kind of been touted as. That's not my view on Bitcoin. My view on Bitcoin is that it's digital gold, uh, that it is eventually going to become some sort of hard money, uh, but it's not necessarily as freely transactable as typical money. And And I don't know if it will ever be. But maybe solutions like the Lightning Network make things a lot easier. But yeah, I view it much, much, much more as a digital gold slash safe haven asset. And it eventually becomes, I mean, we've already kind of seen it in Nigeria with Bitcoin. For example, like Nigeria, basically what the government did was they stopped cash withdrawals from ATMs. Now, when you stop cash withdrawals from ATMs in a country that isn't so highly developed, that really uh, has an effect on that country because a lot of people don't have bank accounts and or, or access to digital funds. And... Um, obviously that puts a lot of, of pressure on the economy. So we saw a lot of Nigerians starting to flock to uh, bit, things like Bitcoin. And obviously also they're facing hyperinflation. So assets like Bitcoin can help with that. Uh, and Bitcoin at one point was going for 60% over, and I think it still is actually, 40 to 60% over its price on uh, exchanges. So Bitcoin is going for like 20,000 now, let's say. In Nigeria, it was going for like 35,000. So there was a premium because people needed like some sort of hard money. And 
if there is some sort of global economic collapse uh, one day, and I've, in our lifetimes, like I believe there will be, um, and we see a lot of these smaller nations really, really suffer the brunt of climate change, and then obviously that's like a more of a long-term thing, and in the short term, our currency devaluation versus the US dollar, with rising interest rates, that may happen sooner rather than later, I think a lot of them are going to flock to Bitcoin. And that remains, in my opinion, Bitcoin's strongest use case. It's the ability to pull um, potentially impoverished nations out of poverty, or at least, at the very least, offer them a solution to be able to transact without uh, dealing in a totally just deprecated um, currency. And I think it has genuine use cases to help those third world nations, like huge use cases that maybe we haven't really seen yet because there hasn't been like that total collapse. Things are kind of still iffy, but we're not really sure how they're going to pan out. If there ever is, um, and certainly some countries look like they're facing that, then I do think Bitcoin can can be a really solid use case there. So no, I don't really view it as uh, as like a global payments network, although it can be used for payments. Um, I more view it as like more uh, like like a digital gold hard money uh, replacement. That's kind of how I view it. Although yeah, payments with Lightning could definitely be cool. Will all this slow the network down? I don't. I think I think it may slow it down a little bit, but Bitcoin works based on like um, like a difficulty adjustment with with the the miners. So I think if anything, more transaction on Bitcoin's better. Because more transactions of Bitcoin means more fees. More fees mean higher rewards. Uh, means the network in general just becomes more secure. It's like one of the big issues with Bitcoin is people forecasting there being like a fee problem. So the Bitcoin networks, if the network activity doesn't increase, people anticipate a security problem stemming out of the lack of incentives for miners. I think actually more network activity makes the network more secure. And although maybe there's a little bit of a trade-off in terms of transaction output, um, in general, I think it's a net positive. Like we want the network to be used as much as possible. And it's a little bit different to proof of work as it's proof of, um, uh, it's a little bit different to proof of stake as it's a proof of work network. So the, the impact transactions have on the network is less. And even the bull market, we saw that the Bitcoin network, like although it did get slowish at times, like it still was able to handle like a, like quite a lot of transactions. But yeah, um, a, a lot of these transactions though won't solely settle on the Bitcoin network, like stacks. Uh, has execution that happens off-chain. So not all of this is, is happening on-chain. Uh, not all of the storage is happening on Bitcoin either. A lot of the storage is happening um, off-chain as well, like for a lot of the complex data, which is the stuff that tends to clog networks down. So with that happening, I would say, uh, no, it's not going to slow the Bitcoin network down as much as like it might slow an Ethereum down, for example. So let's go through some of the setups now and have a look at the first one, which is Phantom. This is a pretty key trend for Phantom. We see this uh, diagonal bearish trend, and this trend looks like potentially it could break out. And if it breaks out, I do have a fifty cent target on Phantom. So what I would want to see on the, I actually prefer trading this on the hourly or the four hourly, but especially the four hourly is I want to see a close above the forty seven cent level. So above this trend line, I want to see a close, and then I would enter like thirty percent, another thirty percent on the bounce um, slash retest. So I would just wait for a breakout and try and play this long. Uh, and then I would set myself around 45 cents. Very rough breakout trade set up there. But that is one that I'm definitely um, looking at. If you do want to trade, of course, we do have a few options. Obviously, OKX, which has the $10,000 mystery box promotion. You've got um, Apex and uh, and uh, GNS for decentralized trading. And then Bybit and BitGet. All the links in the description. Uh, and they all have you know pretty decent 
uh, sign-up bonuses for you as well if you want to get involved. But yeah, in terms of the Phantom trade, I am waiting for this breakout. That's essentially what I'm looking at. Also want to see some volume tick in um, for Phantom. We've seen volume start to decay. I want to see a spike in volume. So an increase in uh, the, the, this this volume would be very nice to coincide with a break of trend. Actually, Asia is opening in an hour, so that's going to be pretty huge. Actually, I think the Asian market's opening right now, um, which is you know hopefully going to give us some uh, some sort of market direction. Of course, we can get rejected here as well, and then probably like Europe uh, slash US opens the next chance for like a, a, a huge bid being caught here in terms of volume, and then I push the upside. If not, yeah, could get rejected. Then my next target's forty three cents. So key level for Phantom. That's just one of the setups I wanted to take a look at. I also wanted to go over LSDs quickly. Um, and basically what's happening in the LSD market is a lot of... Sorry, I'm just catching my breath. A lot of the um, ETH that is currently staked and locked in the Ethereum beacon chain that is now going to be unlocked because of the Shanghai upgrade uh, is going to flow into LSDs. Because if we, if we currently observe the Bitcoin ratio. I not, I don't know how to get the chart up for you right now, but I have it in my head. I can tell you the stats. Uh, currently, 40, roughly 42% of Bitcoin is in liquid staking. 42%. Which means there's still the majority of Bitcoin that isn't in liquid staking. So the vast majority of Bitcoin, uh, which is 58%, is still in the ETH beacon chain, locked. So a lot of that will start to be unlocked. Some's going to hit the market. I think the market does do a decent job at factoring in, um, you know, potential supply. Like we see, like unlocks often become bullish, but you know, with ETH it is significant. So I'm not, I'm not uh, totally remiss of that fact. I think there can be some s- supply side downwards pressure, but in terms of pure LSD price impact, I think it's going to impact a lot of them positively because there will be a lot of capital flowing into LSDs. Now, when's the Shanghai upgrade happening? Probably in a month. I'm going to say either last week of March or early April. So I think this narrative has a run for a few more weeks, probably has a uh, pre-upgrade sell-off, which is typically what happens. Like ETH merge, we saw it run up a week before it sold off. Even like during merge day, it sold off. And then I think what we could see is um, a bit of consolidation, and then maybe a delayed run post the upgrade if some of the metrics are bullish. Like, for example, we saw GNS launch on Arbitrum. A lot of the speculation before GNS launched was, you know, it was going to tank when it released because it was by the rumor sell the news. And although that was true, it did have a significant drop. Once the metrics started to, uh, once price started to catch up to the metrics, which were obviously bullish because of Arbitrum, we saw GNS start to run. So similar thing may happen with, with this upgrade. Um, you know, you get that sell off, you get the sell the news, then if the inflows are significantly like outpacing market expectation, which they genuinely could, it's hard to like put a number on what mark the market's expecting right now. But let's say like maybe it's expected like a 10%, 20% increase in staking ratio. Let's say that increases by 30%, then yeah, you're gonna get that repriced um in, in a lot of these LSDs. So I think in the run-up, these are some of the best tokens to be in for sure. Uh sorry, to be in for sure. I did give you an amazing entry on Frax. This is like from my previous streams last week. Uh, we have this yellow box, which was my buy zone. We hit it perfectly at 9.7 cents. So hopefully you guys got some good entries because if you did, you'd be up uh, 24%. Frax, one of my favorite protocols long-term at the moment. 
Um, well, sorry, mid to long term, but then also I uh, say mid because maybe that's like a year to two years. And then I, you know, everything has got to have its own time horizon. But in the short term, because we did get this break of the top of the range here, and you guys, I mean, how many opportunities did we get to trade this range? It was absolutely crazy. Um, and opportunities to enter in um, down here. If you did enter in down here, we got the push up. Look for this pullback test. Uh, we may not get right to this line. We may come and test this previous zone at 11.6. That would be your next level to load up at for this narrative. So if you miss your entry, wait for that uh, that slight pullback back to the top of the channel. Um, if you did get your entry and you took profits, I would potentially do the same. Wait for that retest of that zone. And yeah, we did very well off the FXS trades. Lido, which is the, probably the leader of this narrative, is looking pretty bullish. In fact, probably more bullish than Frax in terms of like con uh, consistent, sustained momentum. Although it has kind of overextended a little bit and this pattern doesn't look great because if you guys look, and I'm just talking like really short term here. Technically, this didn't make a higher high. It's a lower high from this level here. Um, and that does mean this is potentially a bearish pattern. So what we could see is kind of like this M pattern play out and then see a retest. So the next level I would look at is 2.84. If we do end up coming down and similarly with Frax, that probably means the stock market ended up rejecting off uh, this key diagonal and then pulling back down. That would probably, and then obviously Bitcoin would respond with a similar thing um, of, you know, getting rejected at one of these levels and then pulling down to either this level or this next level, either mid-range or below the, the 200 MA. That would kind of be the scenario. Obviously, there's cause and effect in this market. So I'm kind of saying in general, how would these projects trade versus stock market price action? That's how. That's when I think we, we'd get that, you know, major pullback. These are relative strength trades though. Um, they're stronger than the rest of the market. We can see this on the Lido BTC pair, Lido ETH pair, Frax BTC pair, Frax ETH share, um, ETH pair. So we can see relative strength. So LSD is definitely probably the better altcoins to be long uh, than you know longing some other altcoins right now. So that's definitely something I'm looking at. Few exciting upgrades from G Trade as well. I want to run you over, which they're obviously a show sponsor. Um, they just announced that they are launching their guaranteed execution of take profits, stop losses, limit stop orders, liquidations for all pairs on all asset classes. So they're you know, continuing to ship, improve their tech. They also announced that um, they are now increasing the percentage of losses going to GNS burns. So obviously at the end of the day, um, the more the house makes, the more they pay out to the holders. And one of the ways they're going to do this is by burning an increased amount of GNS, which is 3% on Polygon and now 5% on Arbitrum. So the more trading volume that happens on GNS now, the more burn that is going to happen, um, which is obviously a good thing for the token itself. Just full disclosure, I'm still long most of my GNS position. Uh, they're also a sponsor of the show. They obviously don't sponsor the show for us to talk about the token. That's a separate thing. That's more to focus on the exchange. But I personally like the GNS protocol as a, a token play in the short to medium term. That's my personal thesis, not financial advice, of course. Do your own research, etc. Uh, but that's my you know, personal opinion. And I don't hope not to sway anyone on that opinion. Um, if you do want to trade, though, so focusing on the trading side, you can trade if you like using DEXs. Um, you can trade on GNS, on Arbitrum, or Polygon. There's a link in the description to trade uh, over there. Their trading comp just ended. I don't know if any of you won, but you know there were 50 winners, which won $100,000, which is pretty damn cool. Um, and yeah, they're, they're constantly releasing more pairs. Like we can see in terms of DEXs, because of the 
ability to spin up pairs and very quickly because there's no liquidity constraints like order books. You, you have a distinct advantage in the short to medium term of being able to like um, launch a lot of pairs, drive those prices off the, the exchange oracles and offer like a decentralized trading solution quickly. So that's like one of the benefits. And I think Jose did a really, really good explanation of like the benefits of DEXs versus AMMs versus, um, sorry, DEX AMMs versus DEX oracles versus order books. So if you're interested in hearing more about the dynamics there, I check that out. But if you don't want to trade, you can do so on G, G trade for DEXs. What I want to do now is um, answer a couple of questions maybe at the end, just to wrap up the show. Obviously, we've covered quite a lot of stuff. So if you have any questions, let me know. Yesterday, I did a pretty cool show, which is this, uh, which is me creating a trading bot with ChatGPT. I'll be honest, guys, I am obsessed with ChatGPT right now. All I've been doing over the past few days is coding strategies um, on ChatGPT and putting them into TradingView. We get, like, I've made a couple I can kind of share with you now, but I, I want to save my actual strategy for the weekend, uh, which is which is pretty cool. I'm currently backtesting that. So yeah, what I've been doing is like writing scripts in um, on, on TradingView using both the stock RSI and the Bollinger Bands. And I've been starting to uh, create like short and long conditions using scripts. And you can see my source code here. Uh, and then the strategy tester here, which showed... On the four hourly, historically, we managed to make a $47,000 profit. On the daily, uh, we made a 6.7% profit. But I actually found a strategy which has made six figures consistently because the problem with this initial strategy was the max drawdown was quite large. And the profit ratio, I guess, is like kind of small considering the substantial bankroll we have on this strategy testing. But what I'm doing now is I'm working on more strategies which have... Um, like a slightly more consistent profile over a long period of time uh, and didn't have crazy, like as crazy max drawdown. So I've got a couple that I've been working on. I'm going to show you how to integrate them into uh, your your exchanges and yeah, just offer like a bit of a bit of a new spin on trading because some of you might not have time and generally would prefer to just trade using AI. And of course, it's not perfect. There are going to be issues. There are going to be maybe periods where you lose money, but um I'm really just like experimenting with this now and I'm trying to share that journey with you. So if you want an introduction to that yesterday, check out this video I made, which is about the trading bot I created. Uh, my eyes look extremely large in that in that photo because <laughs> we edited bug eyes on. But um <laughs> but if you yeah, if you want to check out a bit more information on that, you can do so there. But yeah, I'm working hard on this for you guys. So I actually would recommend that just to get an understanding of what I'm doing. So by the end of the week, you're like up to speed. So you're aware of like how I'm approaching writing these bots. Joby, you like it? Yeah, I'm blown away. I'm honestly blown away. Like it's crazy that AI can code us trading bots and not only code them, but also fix errors and update them over time. So I've had many errors like with the trading code. I've given it source code and it's come back and with like six errors and I've just copied them into the AI ChatGPT, and it's given me like new code that's worked. So it's pretty crazy that it can just update on the fly um, big, big, big improvement on other bots and kind of very scared uh, about the future of AI, to be honest. Like one day you'll you'll be able to have AI replicate me in live um, and automate exactly what I'm saying. And you won't even know if it's me or if it's something else. Like you, I don't even know what happens honestly to content creation in a few years. Like if, if our jobs just become to like, maybe like code scripts and like, I don't know if we'll even be neat. I don't even know if humans are needed on this planet, guys. It's, AI freaks me out. Like, AI might actually run run the entire planet um, one day. It's actually pretty scary. 
use it all the time at your job. It's such a hack. If you don't use ChatGPT, it'll really change your life. Um, just for like small mundane things, especially like like if I need some sort of like prompt, Sam, even if I'm writing a thread, obviously I don't ChatGPT my threads. I view it as a bit disingenuous. But if, if I'm writing a thread and I just can't think of like the next line, um, or I just can't think of how to word it, you can get like grammar responses and and like. Uh, short form dot point prompts like help you with writing. So like, if you're writing a rep- if you work for a company and you you do research reports, sure, ChatGPT is not going to give you the stats for those research reports. But what it might give you is the layout and the prompts needed to get your creative juices flowing to write that report. Or you, you I don't know, you might just be stuck. Let's say you're in school or, or university and you're you're kind of writing an essay and you don't know how to structure it. You just put it, give it, give it some input. Say, look, this is the structure. Um, Sorry, like the, these are the topics. These are the key points I want to hit. This is my main argument. Can you give me a rough structure? And sometimes that genuinely helps. So it's kind of crazy um, it, how like impactful I think it's going to be in a few years, especially once it gets this next upgrade, which is a I think a hundred x multiple on its current inputs. And once it gets internet access, it's really just game over. So um, yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy. It even codes on small coding languages. Blown away when it could do. Yeah, legit. Like so. Uh, all the TradingView source code is in PineScript. So if you click on the source code of an indicator, you can see that it's all in PineScript. But it can do all sorts of obscure languages as well. It can also code Solidity on Ethereum. Um, Joby, can it code on Solana? Can it code like Rust? Can it code like JavaScript? I know. Can it code like, yeah, I'm very interested if it can code all that stuff. I th- I'm pretty sure it can. Pretty sure it can. The next generation of engineers will be AI communication engineers. I 100% agree. Like I, I legitimately think like a huge um, industry in the future is going to be AI uh, communication. So like basically people that just program the AI, make sure they're operating right. And that'll be like one of the biggest niches in the world for jobs. What I will say is this is going to take time, probably 10 to 20 years. Uh, I plan on getting way too filthy rich in the meantime that I don't even have to worry about AI. That is the plan. I see Paola is also nodding her head. That is really our plan, guys. Let's just get filthy fucking rich off crypto. Um, go retire on island somewhere, sip cocktails, and not have to worry about AI while everyone else fights for their jobs. We'll be chilling. Like That's basically the plan. So huge time pressure, guys, to get your life sorted in the next five to 10 years <laughs> so we can all just relax, chill, relax on a beach somewhere, and not have to worry about the rest of the world going to shit. Although the beaches are probably going to go to shit because they're going to be... um. Sorry to get all depressing on you, but they're probably going to go underwater. So we can like uh, lie on beaches with massive like beach walls. So obviously that's going to stop the water coming in and we can have a nice view of, I think they'll probably like massive screens on the walls and have like, like fake beach holograms like projecting onto them. Um, So like you'll think you're at the beach and and there'll be sand, but you know, really like it's just a wall. So that's, that's, that, that's my plan. Funk said good. (laughs) Funk said good plan. I'm in. British Perspective said that as well. Good luck with that. Thank you, bro. Um, I mean, also retirement's a spectrum, right? Because, you know, like, like I, I guess I could retire now if I wanted, but it wouldn't be like a nice retirement. Like, it would be like a, you know, I could only spend like 50K a year type of retirement, which is like decent, but it's, you know, if you want like a proper retirement, like, you know, mansions, supporting a family, like, and holiday houses and, business class flights everywhere. You're going to need a lot more than 50 to 100K a year. You're going to need like 500K a year of like accessible capital or cash flow. 
I'm clearly not at that point yet where, where I could just retire and earn that much money. Um, like, you know, whereas like some other, some other people in crypto probably are. Uh, so retirement's a bit of a spectrum because if your goal, yeah, it depends on your goals. So like in terms of retirement, I'm kind of going for something a bit more, which is going to take a bit longer to like develop uh, enough, I guess, capital to be able to like earn uh, passive income. And when I say that, I mean like I need at least like 500K to a mil passive income a year. Like, and that's a lot of cash to earn passively. Like, that's a lot. Of, and clearly I'm not there. So um, that's uh, that's the goal. Never retire. If I never retire, I'll make more money. So yeah, no, I, I'm not, I don't know. I'm too ambitious to retire. I like, um, I always like, I think in life it's very important to have set goals and kind of like a greater purpose that you were, that you were, that you aspire to. And like, I feel like I've really like found my purpose with crypto and that has like enabled me to have like intense motivation each day to like do what I enjoy and like pursue it. I think it's all about finding that thing that like makes you tick because at the end of the day, like money's money, but it's more about finding something that genuinely like motivates you to get up in the morning or at least gives you something to look forward to. Even if it's hard, like I'm not going to lie, not, not every morning I wake up and go, Oh, I just can't wait to stream. Sometimes it sucks. Sometimes you feel shit. Sometimes you have a headache and you have to stream. Like even today, I feel a little bit sick. Sometimes you're covering a complex topic and maybe you, you get a bit nervous that stuff happens. Um, so like not every job's a dream job, but overall I think it's the the net effect. Is it net improving my life or net degrading my life? And like I would say it's more yeah, it's more important to follow passion than uh th- than just money. Power said mini retirements, yeah, for sure. Much poon is the goal. Tasmania? Tasmania's beautiful. Tasmania's beautiful, but um I would never live there. It's too boring. I'd rather live in Melbourne or Sydney or or, or one of the big cities. Anything on ICP. Seeing a lot of ICP shillers recently. Can't say I 100% agree with their theses, but anyway. Thanks for the compliment on my enthusiasm. I think, no, I seriously think the opportunities over this next few years are just massive in crypto. It's actually unfathomable. Like, even in crypto gaming, Hustler did a show on this uh, yesterday or two days ago, but crypto gaming... A lot of the projections just projections are showing by 2027 like a 10x increase in uh, not only funding but like overall market capitalization off the back of that funding. It's like even an, a one niche in crypto like crypto gaming uh, has so much potential. What does that mean for like a lot of the other niches? I think it's pretty exciting stuff. Like there's macro headwinds, there's regulatory headwinds, there's reasons why I'm still pretty heavy in cash. There's reasons why, uh, and I actually outlined my portfolio for you guys on my Twitter. A lot of guys ask, a lot of you ask me, and I, I do talk about this a lot, but like, what is my actual market approach on a day-to-day basis? And it's really three things. On my, You can see it on my Twitter. It's long-term spot, active narrative trend trading, active leverage trading, maintaining optimal exposure for my risk tolerance, enough to eliminate FOMO, but also like enough cash to stay in this game long-term. Because you've got to survive. You can't wreck yourself trying to chase short-term cash. So... You know, I need to survive for 10 years, got cash to be able to survive in crypto for 10 years because that's a potential time frame on when I think a lot of these um, innovations are going to start uh, coming to fruition. I think people overestimate what you can do in two years, as the famous saying goes, and, um, you know, kind of underestimate what can be done in 10. Um, and I think, yeah, that's why I kind of 
have that 10-year plan, but also stay in the short-term game for 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 um, opportunities to make money and compound wealth. So thank you guys for hanging out with me today. I had a good time. Um, I'll see you tomorrow for my last live stream of the week. And then on the weekend, I'm going to drop my full trading AI strategy guide. So that'll be exciting. So if you want that, stick around. And until then, I will see you tomorrow. Peace out, guys.